in your pure Bible. You can find this on page 153. Joshua chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When across the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests had carried the, who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground Then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones he had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This is God's word. Good morning. What is the most amazing way that God has worked in your life? Can you remember? 
Do you recall? What have you done, perhaps, to commemorate, even memorialize it? Well, for myself, I can think of a handful of times when I could clearly see the hand of God in my life. And probably the pinnacle, the one that I should share, is meeting the love of my life, my wife, my confidant, and my friend, Bridget. For those of you that are married, you probably remember that day you got engaged. You remember your wedding like it was just yesterday. For me, it's roughly the same. For those of you that don't know, Bridget, my wife, loves to run marathons. And her favorite marathon in the entire world is the New York City Marathon. And I'll tell you why. Because the New York City Marathon is kind of unique in the course that it runs. You start out in Staten Island. You cross the Staten Island Bridge on over to Brooklyn. You meander on up to Queens. And then you cross the East River up to the Bronx, finally ending back in the heart of New York City, Manhattan, in Central Park with a flurry. Well, for my engagement, I thought I'd try to pizzazz it a little bit. So I retraced the course of the New York City Marathon, starting out in Staten Island, coursing on over the bridge to Brooklyn, to Queens, to the Bronx, and then back into the middle of Central Park at the Tavern on the Green restaurant with a carriage ride through the park, which ended up in the proposal. Along the way, we stopped at different distinct areas like Coney Island and the Bronx. And in each step of the way, I gave Bridget an engraved placard that commemorated that area of the marathon, but also had a picture of her and a trait that I felt God had put in her that I appreciated, along with the corresponding verse. Now, each of you that are sitting out there that's also married, you know, we also have a way to symbolize and commemorate our marriages. And if you look down at your finger right now, it's that engagement ring, that wedding band that we wear. We're going to return to that a little bit later. But today we're going to look at Joshua chapter 4. And in Joshua chapter 4, it's really not new material because Pastor David covered chapter 3 last week. And chapter 3 and 4, they basically go hand in hand. And they highlight the crossing of the Jordan River by the Israelites. This is a spectacular event, and it's perhaps only paralleled by the crossing of the Red Sea with Moses. And we're going to see in this passage how the Israelites commemorate and memorialize the work of the Lord. It's a little bit difficult to follow if you're reading through as Gerald was reading for us, because the author kind of slows down here in chapter 4. In fact, he kind of repeats himself seemingly over and over again. So just for reference, perhaps it will ease your mind if you kind of split it up into what I characterize as a set of three commands and then complementary fulfillments. So verse 1 through 7 would be that first command. Then verses 8 through 14 would be the complementary fulfillment. Then verses 15 through 17 
would be sort of a repetitive command, and verse 18 would be that fulfillment. Finally, the third command sequence would be found in verses 19 through 24, and the resultant fulfillment is actually left up to the Israelites and left up to us as a congregation today. So as we enter into Joshua chapter 4, there are three major points that I'd like you to take home today, to take home into your lives. And these three major points are going to answer the question of why we should commemorate, why we should memorialize God's work. And the first point, the first answer to that question is that we commemorate, we memorialize so that we might honor God's work. In verse 1 we read, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. The first thing you notice is that twelve priests are chosen. And these twelve priests represent the twelve tribes of Israel. So in a sense... All the people of Israel are involved in commemorating and memorializing the work of the Lord at the Jordan River. And 4 through 7 is then Joshua's command to the Israelites. So Joshua called together 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and when it crossed the Jordans, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So you see... Memorializing God's work is essentially a sign. And you see that in verse 6a, a sign. If you go back to the Hebrew for the word sign, sign actually means a few things. It can mean a pledge. It can mean a miracle. And in this case, perhaps most apt, it means memorial. But you can see that certain parts of that definition are inclusive. Because you see the pledge of God Almighty to the Israelites, the covenant that he made between them to bring them to the promised land. And you see this miracle that occurred, the crossing of a river. And you also see that it's a memorial. In fact, the NIV uses the word memorial at the end of verse 7, if you look there, memorial. And if we go back to the root of the word in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for memorial is actually zakarion. And zakarion flows and comes from the Hebrew verb zakar. Zakar has the meaning of remember, recollect, meditate upon, commemorate. And memorial lies is just an outflowing of memorial. It means to remember with concern, to remember with care, to reflect lovingly. And as we'll see later, 
there's usually a corresponding degree of action. Well, as I shared before in a past sermon, I happened to be in New York City during the time of the destruction of the Twin Towers. And it was quite a surreal event as I sat on the opposite side of the Hudson River watching the Twin Towers smoking, but at the same time watching TV and seeing the details of that event, looking up and down and up and down. Well, you all know the outcome of that fateful event. And in the last year, the 9-11 memorial has opened to the public, at least parts of it. It's a spectacular memorial in and of itself, and if you get the chance to visit, you'll probably be amazed. For at the feet where the two twin towers once stood are huge reflecting pools, 170 feet long in a square. And in those reflecting pools, you could see water cascading over the side into the middle over a 30-foot drop. And at the middle of that, it seems like a chasm that the waters go down to infinity. You know, the 9-11 memorial, just like any memorial, just like Memorial Day this past Monday, commemorates the lives that were lost during that fateful day. And it commemorates the heroes that went beyond the call of duty for that day. Heroes such as Rick Riscario, who was an army officer at one point in time, but during the twilight of his career, retired to become the chief of security at Morgan Stanley financial firm. He was prepared for that day. And when it came, he remained calm, cool, and collected. And he directed a huge portion of the employees of Morgan Stanley down that staircase after that first plane hit. Unfortunately, the second plane hit also. And that staircase can no longer be used. So the people were anxious, flourished, but Rick Riscario remained calm and after checking out another stairwell, directed those people down the stairwell. He had time for one last call to his lovely wife, Susan. And you can imagine her tone of voice on the other side of that phone as she sobbed pleading for him to get out of the towers, to save yourself so I can see you once again. But you know what Rick said? He said, I've got to get my people out. But Susan, if by chance I don't see you again, I want you to know that you made my life. Well, unfortunately, Rick would not make his way out. He would come close. In fact, he was close to the exit And as the people walked out of the building, these ones that commemorate him today because they're still living, they said, you know, Rick, come with us. We pretty much made it. But he obliged them by saying, I will get out, but I'll only get out after I save the rest of the people. Well, the 9-11 memorial commemorates people like Rick Rascario and many others that gave up their lives that fateful day. And if a memorial can be built towards humans, 
how much more so should we, as Christians, commemorate and memorialize the work of God? So the first thing I want you to take home is to commemorate, to memorialize the work of the Lord in your own life because it honors him. And the second point that I want you to take home is that we should commemorate and memorialize the Lord's work because it stimulates us to testify of his work, to testify of his work. We see this in verse 6 and 7 again. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The people of Israel are to testify to their present generation of children and the future generations of children that the Ark of the Covenant cut off the flow of the river. That's a miracle, isn't it? Never seen water cut off in mid-flow before. But they're to testify of this miracle to their children and their children and their children. Secondarily, the Israelites are to testify to the fact that the Ark of the Covenant not only cut off the flow of the Jordan River, but it also crossed the Jordan River to the other side. You see this in 15 through 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Testimony to come out out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come out out of the Jordan. And the priests came out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. It's interesting because the Ark of the Covenant it's actually called the Ark of Testimony here in verse 16. And the Ark of the Covenant really represents, more than symbolizes, the presence of God Almighty. So it was God Almighty who cut off the flow of the Jordan River. It was God Almighty who crossed the Jordan, leading the Israelites, fulfilling his covenant with his people. Finally, the Israelites are to testify to their children. In verses 22 and 23, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea. Finally, the Israelites are to testify to their sons and daughters and future generations that Israel cross the Jordan on dry ground. That Israel followed the Lord and the Ark of the Covenant to the other side, to the Promised Land. The interesting thing apart, verses 7, actually 8 and 9 here, verse 8 shows the fulfillment of the command sequence of 1 through 7, where the Israelites in 8 actually do what Joshua commands. They take the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, and then according to the number of tribes of Israelites, they carry them over to the other side of the Jordan, to their camp. If you fast forward to verse 19, you'll see that the camp is actually in Gilgal. Verse 9 is actually a little bit confusing, 
Because if you read verse 9, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spots where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. That's really confusing. And to be really honest, the NIV doesn't do justice to the Hebrew Bible here. In fact, if you look at the ESV version, the NASV, and several other versions, they do more justice to the actual words in Hebrew there. In fact, it should read, Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the spots where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And if you have the NIV version, if you look down at your footnotes, you'll actually see a little G because the translators are unsure and they say, or Joshua also set up 12 stones. But the point of this that's somewhat unexpected is there's actually two memorials There's the set of stones that's removed from the middle of the river and moved out to the other side of the river and placed at Gilgal. But then there's also another set of stones that are placed in the middle of the river at the feet where the priests stood carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. doesn't really change what the passage says because they both memorialize, commemorate the work of the Lord. But interestingly enough, that second set in the middle of the river that is still there to the time of the writing of the scriptures that you see at the end of verse 8 right there. Can you imagine that? The stone standing in the middle of the river. It, It really does testify to the fact that the Israelites in the Ark of the Covenant was in the middle of the river. It's not an illusion. I do magic in my spare time. It's not a facade or illusion. It's reality that Those people, the Ark of the Covenant, was in the middle of the river because you can see those stones. If you go to Taiwan today, you know, you're bound to probably see some commemoration or memorials to George Leslie McKay, who was one of the first missionaries to Taiwan and actually the very first missionary from Canada to leave Canada and go out across its borders. George Leslie McKay did some amazing things in Taiwan, bringing many people to faith. In fact, my family has him to thank, and I have him to thank for being in this position today. But George Leslie McKay did much more than evangelize, for he also educated. In fact, there's several schools in the first seminary in Taiwan named after him today. And the lasting legacy of the McKay Memorial Hospital is actually also standing today. If you ask any Christian, in fact, if you ask any non-Christian, you know, that's a little bit older, they can actually tell you about George Leslie McKay and his work there. They can testify to what he's done. Christians as to their faith along different generations and non-Christians as to his work saving lives, pulling teeth as a dentist. If somebody like George Leslie McKay can be commemorated and memorialized, and this drives people in Taiwan to testify of him, how much more so we as Christians should commemorate and memorialize the work of God in our lives so that people will testify also of him. So, brothers and sisters, first point, the first reason why we should commemorate and memorialize is so that we can honor God. And the second point 
so that we and others can testify of his work in our lives. So finally, we come to the last point I want you to take home today. And that last reason why we should commemorate and memorialize God's work is because it prods us, it stimulates us towards obedience in our life. You'll see this at the end of chapter 4 and verse 24. Verse 24 reads, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You might always fear the Lord your God. You see, brothers and sisters, in Old Testament times, fear was a fundamental expression of faith for the Israelites. Fear is not like the fear that we think of today with horror movies and Halloween, but fear is a recognition of the transcendent glory of God with a resultant obedience and faithfulness because of it. So the Israelites, as they commemorated and memorialized the work of the Lord that day at Jordan, were driven not only to honor him, to testify of him, but also to be faithful and obedient to him. You can actually see shadows of this obedience in the two and a half tribes. If you look at verse 12, for those two and a half tribes of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, in 12, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. And 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. You see, really there was no sane reason for the two and a half tribes to cross over and fight for the land of the brethren because they had already inherited the land Their land was on the other side of the Jordan. But they were obedient to the covenant that the Lord had made with them. And they crossed over the Jordan, and they fought with their brethren for the land. And that's kind of the rest of the story that we'll be getting into through the rest of Joshua. And towards the end of Joshua, you'll see that finally they returned to that land that was their inheritance. So, brothers and sisters, we're called to commemorate because it honors the work of God. Secondarily, we're called to commemorate and memorialize because it drives us and prods us to testify of his work in our life. And finally, we're called to commemorate and memorialize because it prods us and stimulates us towards obedience in our own lives going to return to the ring for those of you that are married. Look down at it if you have one on. You know, after a little while, when you're married, your engagement ring, your wedding ring, maybe kind of loses a little bit of the luster on it. You know, when you go through fights and quarrels in your relationships, you have kids, and that honeymoon period just sort of fades away. In fact, instead of having a wedding ring, perhaps you're thinking you're having suffering instead. 
Had to. <laughs> For brothers and sisters, that's when you look back down at your ring that you're wearing. And you remember the covenant that you made before the Lord with your spouse. And that drives us, brothers and sisters in Christ who are married today, that drives us to faithfulness when we struggle with different struggles in our marriage, when we're struggling with different temptations in our marriage, it drives us to be faithful to the covenant that we made with our love. Well, brothers and sisters, the event that occurred at the Jordan River was spectacular and perhaps only on par with the event at the Red Sea and the parting. But I can tell you that today we need not look back that far to memorialize and commemorate. We only need to look at the atonement and the cross of Christ for commemoration and for memorialization. How can we apply this to our lives, brothers and sisters? Number one, we need to commemorate and memorialize the Lord's work in our lives. For each and every one of us sitting out there today, it's going to be somewhat different because we each have a different story in our lives. We have a different story to tell of how God has worked in our lives. And so we need to honor that by commemorating and memorializing it. Secondarily, brothers and sisters, we need to commemorate and memorialize because it drives us to testify of his work in our lives. And each of us does have a different story. And because of that story of how God's worked in our lives, it's not going to be awkward when we share that story with others because it's going to be a pinnacle event in our lives of how God moved in our lives with our families and our friends. So it's going to be easy to testify of that event. And finally, brothers and sisters, that Commemoration and memorialization should drive us to be obedient to the Lord, to have that Old Testament fear because of our relationship with Jesus. As we look to the table and to communion today, we realize that during Good Friday, during communion each month, this is our act of commemoration, of memorialization, if you take the translation of reflecting lovingly, remembering with concern. We pray that this act of communion would also push us to testify of the Lord's work in our life, but also to testify of the Lord's work in atonement to save the world. Finally, we pray that this act of communion each month would drive us towards obedience. Obedience because of our relationship with him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this lesson and this great story of Joshua, chapter 3 and 4, of the crossing of the river of Jordan, of how you led your people across that river to the promised land. Well, we pray, Lord, that we too would commemorate and memorialize acts 
and works that you've done in our own life, that this would drive us to testify of you and of your work, and that this would prod us, stimulate us towards obedience. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. To the communion table, we realize that communion is an act of commemoration and memorialization of the singular act of sacrifice, of atonement on the cross of Christ. As we think about these things, I pray that we not only think of it as a way of honoring the work of the Lord, but also how it will prod us to testify of that work in our lives and how it will stimulate us to be obedient to him because of our love for him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that has led to our salvation, the salvation of many around the world. We pray, Lord, that as we partake of this bread, we think upon you, we commemorate the memorialization of your sacrifice, Lord, on the cross, and that it would also spur us to testify of your sacrifice and to obedience to you because of our love for you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. We invite all those who've prayed to receive Christ and have been baptized to participate together with us in communion. If you have not yet given your life to Christ or have not yet been baptized, we invite you instead to meditate while the rest of us take communion. And then feel free to approach me or Steve or any of the pastoral staff or the deacons and elder after the service, and we can talk with you about how to receive Christ and how to be baptized. For the cross, oh. and thank you for the price you paid, bearing all my sin and shame. In love, you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love. me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and grace.